What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the podcast. This episode of Eddie Green's 101. That's right. I'm Eddie Green. Hello. Nice to meet you. If you are new here, if you aren't new here, you already knew I'm Eddie Green. This episode is brought to you by. All right. That's all said and done. I got to work on getting a new sponsor. Mm, I got to add that to my to-do list. Anyways, my guest today is a good friend of mine from many years ago, Mason Bowman. This guy is uh, this guy's a jack of all trades. He can do he can do uh, performance art. He can uh, make you laugh. He can make you cry. He can make you cry from laughing. He can uh, run a state penitentiary. That's how you say it, right? Penitentiary or penitentiary. Anyways, you guys know what I'm trying to say. I think we talk about it uh, in this episode. <laughs> We actually talk about it a lot. This is a very, very intriguing episode, something that uh, when I reached out to Mason, I knew I wanted to talk about. Very important stuff in here. And then we, uh, towards the end of the episode, we lighten it up with uh, some some good nostalgia talk. But at the very beginning of the episode, so it's sort of like a sandwich. Like a, Actually, it's it's like an Oreo. So you have the you have the top and the bottom, which are incredible, right? And then you have that really important cream in the middle that, uh, you know, is the heavy stuff, right? Because you can you can get double stuffed Oreos. So this is a double stuffed Oreo. So um, the beginning of this episode is a, uh, for, for Mason and I, it's a trip down memory lane because we perform the Abbott and Costello, the Abbott and Costello. That's how you correctly say something like that. If it starts with a vowel, I, I always remember hearing that somewhere that if it starts with a vowel, when you say the, you're supposed to say the, so the Abbott and Costello, right? So if it was like uh, Bob Barker, the Bob Barker, you know what I mean? If it's A, E, I, O, U, whatever, Eddie Green's 101, the Eddie Green, you wouldn't say the Eddie Green. I don't know, whatever. I might just be rambling. We do Abbott and Costello's Who's On First. That's right. Who's On First, the incredible classic skit that Abbott and Costello uh, performed multiple times. This is something that uh, Mason and I years ago performed for a talent show. And uh, when I invited him on the podcast, I was like, dude, I want to resurrect Who's On First. So that's how we kick off the episode. I hope you guys enjoy it. Sit back, relax, get ready, get set. It's Mason. Bowman. Hello? Uh, Costello, what's going on, man? Hey, hey, bro. How you been? How you been? Been uh, hard times here lately, but uh, we're looking up, we're looking up. Yeah, you know, I wanted to uh, get in touch with you because I know we're all in quarantine and everything. And, uh, uh, you know, once this all subsides and and goes away, I want to make sure that we're on the same page. We know that... uh, uh, we're going to get back into the, you know, the season. So I want to make sure that, uh, you know, you know, who's who and, and, and everything. Okay. Oh, great, great, great. So they, they, uh, they are going to bring you back in as a coach. Uh, so the issue is, you know, if you're coming back in as a coach, you, you got to know all the players, right? 
Uh, yeah, yeah, I certainly do. Okay, well, you know I've never met these guys. So uh, you're going to have to give me these ball players nowadays. They've uh, got some pretty peculiar names. Oh, you mean like funny names? Uh, you know, strange name, pet uh, pet names, you know, like Dizzy Dean. Uh, his brother Daffy. Daffy Dean. And their French cousin. French? Goofy? Ah, <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. Uh, well, you know, I... Uh, I really just uh, I just need to find out who you got on the team. Um, okay, so let's see here. Uh, all right, so we got who's on first, what's on second. I don't know who's on third. Well, that that's what I want to find out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, who's on first? What's on second? I don't know who's on third. Okay, hang on. you're the manager. Yeah, and you're going to be the coach too. You got it. And you don't know the fellows' names. Uh, I should. Well, then who's on first? Yeah. Oh, I mean the fellow's name. Who? The guy on first. Who? The first baseman. Who? The guy playing first. Who is on first? I'm asking you who's on first. That's the man's name. That's whose name? Yes. Well, go ahead and tell me. That's it. That's who? Yes. Look, you got a first baseman? Yeah, certainly. Who's playing first? That's right. When you pay off the first baseman every month, who gets the money? Every single dollar of it. <laughs> All I'm trying to find out is the fellow's name on first base. Who? The guy that gets That's the money. That's it. Who gets the money? He does. Every single dollar. And sometimes his wife comes down and collects it. Whose wife? Yes. What's wrong with that? Look, all I want to know is when you sign up the first baseman, how does he sign his name? Who? The guy. Who? How does he sign? That's how he signs it. Who? Yes. All I'm trying to find out is what's the guy's name on first base? No, 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 no. What is on second base? I'm not asking you who's on second. Who is on first? Uh, One base at a time. All right, well, then don't change the players around. I'm not changing nobody. Hey, hey, t- take it easy, buddy. Take it easy. All right. Look, I'm only asking you, who's the guy on first base? That's right. Okay. All right. Eddie, what's the guy's name on first base? No, 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 no. What is on second? I'm not asking you who's on second. Who's on first? I don't know. He's on third, and we're not talking about him. Well, uh, how, how did I get on third base? Well, you mentioned his name. Well, if I mentioned the third baseman's name, who did I say is playing third? No. Who's playing first? What's on first? What is on second? I don't know. He is on third. There I go, back on third again. All right, look, would you just stay on third base and don't go off it? All right, all right. What do you want to know? Now, who's playing third base? Why do you insist on putting who on third base? What am I putting on third? No. What's on second? You don't want who on second? Who is on first? I don't know. Third Third base. base. Yeah, an outfield? Yeah, sure. The left fielder's name. Why? I just thought I'd ask. (laughs) Well, I just thought I'd tell you. Well, then tell me who's playing left field. Who is playing first? I'm not. Stay at the infield. 
I want to know what's the guy's name in left field. No. What is on second? I'm not asking you who's on second. Who's on first? I don't know. Third, third base. base. The left fielder's name? Why? A uh, fucking because. Uh, he's center field. <laughs> you got a pitcher on this team? Yeah. The pitcher's name? Tomorrow. You don't want to tell me today? I'm telling you right now. Then go ahead. Tomorrow. What time? What time what? What time tomorrow you're going to tell me who's pitching? Now listen, who is not pitching? Who is on? I'll break your arm if you say who's on first. I want to know what's the pitcher's name. What's on second? I don't know. Third, third base. base. Third base. Third base. Got a catcher? Certainly. The catcher's name? Today. Today. Uh-huh. And tomorrow's pitching. Uh, now, now you've got it. I've well, got a couple of days on the team. Well, All right. Well, you know, I'm the catcher, too. Uh, they, that's what they tell me. Okay, so I get behind the plate and do some fancy catching, okay. Okay? okay? Tomorrow's pitcher on my team, and a heavy hitter gets up. Yes. Now, the heavy hitter gets up, he bunts the ball. When he bunts the ball, me, being a good catcher, I want to throw the guy out at first. So I'm going to pick up the ball and throw it to who? Now, that is the first thing you've said right all day. I don't even know what I'm talking about. Well, that's all you have to do. Is throw the ball to first base. Yes. Now who's got it? Naturally. Eddie, if I throw this ball to first base, somebody's got to get it. Now who has it? Naturally. Who? Naturally. 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 So I pick up the ball and I throw it to naturally. <laughs> no, you don't. You throw the ball to who? Naturally. That's different. That's what I said. No, no, no. You're not saying it correctly. I throw the ball to naturally. You throw it to who? Naturally. Okay, that's it. That's what I said. Look, look, ask me. I throw the ball to who? Naturally. Now you ask me. You throw the ball to who? Naturally. Uh, that's it. Same as you. <sighs> Same as you. Look, I throw the ball to who? Whoever it is drops the ball and the guy runs to second. Who picks up the ball, throws it to what? What throws it to? I don't know. I don't know if throws it back to tomorrow. Triple play. Okay. Another guy gets up, and it's a long fly ball to be caused. Why? I don't know. He's on third, and I don't give a damn. What? I said I don't give a damn. No, that's our shortstop. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Mason. Ah, oh, geez, brother, it's oh, it's been a minute, huh? Holy shit, it has. And uh, I'd like to, I'd like to tell everybody that we did that off the top of our heads, but that would be the biggest lie. Oh uh, yeah, uh, yeah, that <laughs> would. Uh, uh, there would, there would be some talent involved at that point. I mean, we did do it at one point off the top of our heads. We did uh, do. We this. did. We did. That was uh, that was good times, man. We did it for the. Uh, I was at the uh, the talent show in in high school, and then uh, we did that uh, kids with talent across America pyramid scheme thing. That <laughs> That's right, yeah, that damn pyramid scheme. Yeah, dude, I was I still get Facebook notifications, like memories of like me posting about it when it was uh, when we got the no- uh, when we got the uh, the letter or whatever it was of hey, you've made it to 
you know, I guess the next round or whatever. And oh, I was so excited. And then you had to go and move to Texas. Uh, well, you know what? <laughs> I mean, you're, you're not, you're not wrong. That, uh, that, that is pretty much how it happened. You know, it's, uh, it's funny. You mentioned the notification thing. I'm sorry. We, we got back to that in a second, but, uh, here probably just a couple months ago. So February, I think, uh, I got a, uh, of, of clip from the Wayback machine on my Facebook, uh, in regards to the werewolf's curse and, uh, uh 10 years, brother. Jesus. 10 years. Yeah. Well, yeah right. Fucking ancient. What are we doing? The only well, the only reason I know that it's ten years is because I had um, I had Simone on the podcast and um, uh, do you do you remember Simone? Oh yeah yeah okay yeah dude I had her on and uh, this was before the whole COVID nineteen thing so it was in person she was uh, and th- and this was the first time I had ever seen her in ten years man and oh wow yeah that was that was pretty trippy that was really trippy to see that and uh you know she looks great and uh we did like a three-hour podcast but uh, we definitely you know reminisced about uh about werewolf's curse and uh, it's it's crazy dude i i have tried to stay in touch with kachergo and i cannot get a hold of this damn dude i don't know where he is oh shit last time i talked to Last time I talked to Cachergo, uh, mind you, it's been several, several years. Uh, he was still working at the, uh, he was still at the college in uh, St. Augustine. And he was uh, slinging cigars part-time at the, uh, at the cigar shop downtown. Oh, okay. All right. <sighs> I don't know what happened to him, man. I know he uh, he changed the uh, the Facebook because for the longest time he had it as uh, you know FPC drama, and then he just recently changed it to Edward Cachergo. So I know he's out there, but you know it's like I'm I'm getting in touch with his family members to the point where like I want to talk to him, like I want to you know because he made a big impact in my life, and I know um, oh absolutely probably yours too, right? We're gonna. We're gonna go hunt his old ass down. He can't be that far. Now that I'm back in state, I mean, yeah, yeah. I don't know what's going on with him, but uh, how? Uh, before we get into the podcast, how's uh, how's this whole quarantine going with you? Because I mean, that's the elephant in the room. Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, I uh, I really can't complain, brother. I'm uh, I'm doing okay, keeping healthy. Um, I was uh, I was lucky enough to survive a uh, pretty pretty massive company furlough uh so i'm still i'm still working regularly uh we're you know we're closed to the public we're still trying to work out you know plans to reopen and everything but uh for right now i mean i I really can't complain it's uh i'm actually getting more time off now than i normally had when i was you know working full-time so yeah it's kind of nice honestly i mean if you don't count the you know thousands of people that are dying. Yeah, yeah. Can you say where you work, or you don't want to say where you work? Oh no, no, sure. We can talk about it. Uh, so I work uh, security uh, for uh, Walt Disney World here in uh, here in Florida, and 
like I said, you know, we, we had a pretty massive company furlough. I'm pretty sure, uh, pretty sure you saw something about it. It was all over the news. It was yeah. approximately 40, 43,000 people that they let go. Um, even within, uh, within my department, they, uh, they furloughed a lot of, a lot of people. Uh, typically a, a lot of the security that you would normally see are the people that got furloughed. You know, your, your screeners up front, just because, you know, we're, we're not running park admission. There's no reason to be out there screening at the time being. So a lot of those guys took the cut, you know, but they were, they were very fair about what they did and how they did it. Uh, so can't complain too much. It was uh, a lot of it was uh, all seniority based. So those of us that have been there for a minute, we, you know, we got a pretty fair shake. Now, excuse my, my naivety. What does furlough mean? Uh, okay. So, uh, a furlough and a layoff are like right about the same thing. Um, the only difference with a furlough is that uh, you get to uh, you get to keep some of your company benefits, like uh, for example, uh, our uh, our medical. Those of us that were furloughed, uh, they uh, they were able to actually keep their medical benefits, and the company is keeping that paid up. Uh, also, when the time comes that we reopen, those that were furloughed won't have to reapply. They'll be able to just go straight back to work. That's good. That's that's good. Yeah. So it, it takes a, it takes a few cogs out of the system. Um, you know, so it makes it a little bit easier when when it comes time to get back to normal. It'll make it a lot easier to uh, to get us back up fully staffed. Yeah. Yeah. Dude, it's crazy, man. I know when, uh, when I saw on the news that, you know, all the parks were closed. I mean, that's something that, uh, you know, I've had a few people on that, uh, you know, either are park enthusiasts or that have worked in the parks and nobody has, nobody ever thought that was going to happen. You know what I mean? Nobody, you never would have thought Walt Disney world, the happiest place on earth as it's advertised would shut its doors for an indefinite amount of time. And yeah, I mean, you know, doing what you do, doing what you do, because that's actually the last time I I saw you was um, a, f- a few years ago. Whenever that uh, that Pandora Land opened in Animal Kingdom, um, yeah, and you guys came down for a flight of passage opening. Yes, yeah. I don't know why we did that. That was uh, that was. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what we were thinking. Um, I mean, it was worth it, but I mean, dear God, like a six seven hour wait. For a two-minute ride, yeah, yeah. You guys, you guys spent some time, <laughs> but I saw you, and I don't actually even think I knew that at that point you were you were working there, or maybe I did. Maybe we had messaged each other on Facebook, and you were like, "Hey, I'll be here." But I mean, it was a shock to me that you had um, done that because we're going to go back a little bit in your history, if you're okay with that, because you used to do sure, absolutely. You used to do. Um, like high stake security at prisons, right? Uh, it's above and beyond security, brother. Uh, so we'll uh, we'll we'll hop back and we'll uh, we'll take it from the beginning. So uh, 2010, I uh, graduated high school. Was out of high school for about three weeks, and then the family packed up. We moved to Texas. Um, and uh, oh, that was that was a mess. But uh, no, Texas is okay. I uh, I really can't I can't speak too poorly of it. Uh, 
but at the time, you know, yeah, fresh out of high school, not a whole lot of real job experience. You know, I'd spent a lot of time uh, working with the uh, with the animal shelter, so I had I had a little bit. You know, I had some stuff to work off of, and you know, I'm not completely ignorant, so I can learn. You know, so I was I was ready to go, and uh, you know, I did a little bit of job hunting. I, I took a couple of uh, oh, I took a couple of trash jobs, brother. I did. Uh, while I was just trying to get in and get settled, I um, I worked as a uh, I was a student enrollment specialist for DeVry University for a little while, and uh, that was that, that wasn't so bad. You remember remember back in high school senior year, DeVry came and did the interview, and they'd ask you to fill out that card, and everybody just looked at them and said no and threw it away. Oh yeah. Well, like yeah. So like the six or eight of you that actually filled that card out, that was my job. The, the cards went into our system. We kind of became an auto dialer. And then you would get a phone call from someone like me uh, bugging you in the middle of dinner, asking if you want to talk to someone at DeVry or not. Uh, so I, d- I did that for a little while. And then my, my campaign shut down over the summer because, you know, uh, colleges shut down over the summer. They moved me to a different campaign, and that was absolute trash. Uh, so I bounced, and uh, I ended up uh, from there. I ended up working for Pilgrim's Pride. Uh, Pilgrim's Pride is the uh, is a chicken plant uh, where they uh, where they process chickens to send out to the grocery store, and uh, that was absolutely as much fun as it sounds. Jeez, yeah, dude, that doesn't uh, that 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 uh, that doesn't sound fun. I, jeez, uh, have you seen this? Um, uh, not to interrupt your story, but have you seen this documentary? Oh, it's called uh, Super Size Me Two. It's the sequel to Super Size Me. Uh, no, I've I've seen Super Size Me, but I haven't seen the sequel. Oh, it's called Holy Chicken. So Super Size Me Two, Holy Chicken, and um, it's the same guy. It's the same guy from the first one. Now he wants to open. Okay. He wants to open his own fast food restaurant. So that's the irony of the whole thing. And uh, he he uh, he has to go through the whole process. So he buys it. Like the first step is he he scouts out and he buys his own chicken farm. And, uh, you know, I I don't know if this ties into what you were doing, but, uh, you know, that kind of opened my eyes to, you know, stuff that I'm aware of, but I've never seen it. Like, you know, that documentary does not shy away of showing you you know, the, the, I guess the bad side of all that stuff, like, was that something you experienced or was that, uh, yeah, so we were, we were strictly processing. So we didn't, uh, you know, we, we didn't have the farm on site. They would load the trucks up and bring the, bring the birds into us. Uh, now we, we did have a kill floor. They, they killed there, they stripped there, they processed and prepped. Uh, I actually worked back in what they called the 34 cooler. Um, you know, if you go to, you go to any of the big chain grocery retail stores over in the deli department, uh, they've got those, uh, the, the pre-cooked rotisserie chickens. You just go in, buy them, take them home. You know what I'm talking about? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, okay. So I packaged those in the raw state. Uh, uh, yeah. So they would, <laughs> they would, they would, they would come through in a, in a box, in a bag, 10 birds to a bag. So it's a 50 pound box of chicken. Uh, the bag, the bag would get sealed, weighed, loaded with dry ice, 
lid on, stacked off onto a pallet, pallets loaded up, pallets wrapped, pallets moved, stocked, stored, and you start the whole process over again. Uh, and I did that for about eight months working my ass off, man, doing this, uh, this chicken plant work. And I'll take a, I'll take this time right now to give a shout out to every single blue collar worker in America. Uh, bless you, man. Cause if you're out here working like this every day, you know, you, you got it. You earn every penny you make. Uh, but it was, it was just that, you know, I, I did that for probably about eight or nine months and, uh, I started thinking about it and I said, well, you know, I'm not in a position to go back to school right now. So I'm going to start looking around, see if I can find myself, a, you know, something that's a little more than just a job, you know, see if I can find something that'll get me in line uh, for a career something to, you know, that I can carry on and actually kind of better myself, get myself into a good position. And uh, out in, uh, out in East Texas, you've got about three options. Uh, when you're looking at something like that, and it's uh, either nursing the oil field or you go to the prison. And uh, I, I went down. I met with the uh, with the recruiter for the for the penitentiary. I did my my baseline exams, my uh, baseline you know physical physical wellness and agility test thing they do, and uh, they shipped me off to the academy, man. So I did my I did my academy and went to work. I was at the Gib Lewis uh, Gib Lewis unit in Woodville, Texas, and uh, that was uh, 2012 to 2017. I spent five years as a corrections officer working in a uh, in general population in a uh, men's penitentiary. And okay, so this is something that I definitely knew I wanted to highlight because. Uh... <laughs> You know, yeah, like, that is that is I mean, you know, there's there's certain jobs that if you were to say, hey, Eddie, do you think you could do this job? I would 100 percent say absolutely no way. And, you know, that that's everything from, you know, a cop to uh, something like you were just talking about it, something like, like as simple as and I it's not simple, but, you know, something as something like working on a farm, you know, like 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 doing anything that involves, you know, touching animals or, or, or seeing them in a, anything other than a live form, you know, that's something that I definitely know I couldn't do. Just hearing you talk about it kind of put like a, like a gag in my mouth for a second there. It was just like, Oh uh, yeah. Nice. Give you, give you the willies. Yeah. yeah, it really does. And then when I found out, because, you know, obviously we live in the social media age, so, you know, that's how you stay in touch with people that you don't see in in person when i found out that you were in texas dude and you were doing this this state penitentiary stuff i was like on one hand that's incredible because i mean if anybody you know doesn't know you're like like how tall are you uh yeah man so these <laughs> these days uh these days you know, i'm rocking about six three three fifty i mean you know i'm i'm a i'm a hefty fella no joke yeah, dude, you're, you're, I mean, even back in high school, I mean, you know, I was a pretty tall dude, but you know, we were, we were like right there. You might've hovered over me a little bit. I think I'm six or six one, but I mean, you know, that was always one of your biggest attributes is the fact that, you know, you, but then to flip it, you're, you're, you're literally a gentle giant is, and, and, and I'm sure you've been told that a lot, but it's, it's, it's so true because if you get to know you, you know, it doesn't fit the way you look, the way you look 
is one thing and then you actually get to know you and you're going to be doing you know the werewolf's curse or you're going to be doing who's on first you know this this real kind of uh, uh slapsticky stuff and you have no issue doing that so it's really cool like i love that you know you have this outer exterior but then underneath is someone totally different but i'm sure you can flip it you know at a moment's notice and you can be because you have to be at a state penitentiary i imagine you have to be in a completely different zone you know what i mean well you know and that that really is one of the things brother and that's something that a lot of people you know when, when you tell me you work for a penitentiary or you spend any kind of time working with the prison system, people automatically kind of go to a to a very physical place with it, and uh, and it's it it is. I'm, I'm not I'm not going to lie to you and, and try to sugarcoat it. You know, there there's days where it gets bad, man. You know, it's as simple as that. But in the reality of the situation, uh, you have to become trained in a little something called verbal judo. Okay, you are you are looking to de-arm and de-escalate. That's that's the reality of the situation. Because here's the thing, General Pop at this particular unit, right? You have a you have a building. Uh, for this example, we're going to use uh, building DEF. Okay, now on this building are uh, three pods or wings. Okay, there's a D wing, E wing, and F wing. All right, each of these wings houses 84 inmates. Okay, so here's here's the numbers we're working with currently. All right, upwards of 240, 250 uh, inmates to a building. All right, would you would you care to wager a guess of how many officers you have on the floor in comparison to that many inmates on the building? Uh, just the way you phrase that, I know it's low. It's, One, uh, two. Oh, oh my God, dude! So you have you have three officers on the building total. Uh, one of those is going to be your picket boss. They're going to stay in the control picket for the wing or for the building, and the, your other two officers they're going to work the floor. And the reality of the situation, you can be as fucking big as you want to be, dude. You can be as big as you want to be. You can be as bad as you want to be. You can be as hard as you want to be. But at the end of the day, two on 84 are not great odds. <sighs> you know? Yeah. And that's the, that's the reality of the situation. And at the end of the day, you know, you, you got to be hard. You got to be hard mentally. It's not so much about physically, you know, but you got to be able to handle that. You know, and there's there's a lot going on, man, because the penitentiary itself uh, really kind of is its own society. I I highly, highly, highly recommend anyone who's uh, ever had any kind of concern or thought or curiosity about penitentiary life, prison life, uh, check out some documentaries, watch some stuff. Um, you know, because that there's there's a lot more to it than you picture. And and what I mean is don't don't turn on one of these lockdown shows on TV, okay? Because I'm going to tell you something about that lockdown show. You're going to watch that show for an hour, and everything that happens within that hour might take three months, six months to happen inside an actual penitentiary. 
because the reality of the situation is, is that it truly is a controlled environment. You know, I'm not going to say they're safe. You know, it's not a nursing home, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but it is, you know, it, it is a controlled environment. The officers there know what they're doing, you know, but the, the flip side to that statement is saying, you know, yes, stuff happens, but it, it doesn't happen with the frequency that a show like that would lead you to believe. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely, you know, I, I kind of figured that and, you know, it's, do you think that those things are, or do you think there's a, there's a falseness to it? Do you think there's a, uh, like, like there's like a stagedness to it? Uh, Honestly, no, I, I really don't because I can tell you for a fact that everything that happens in those shows I've seen in real life. (laughs) <laughs> you know, I've worked the penitentiary. I've seen it happen. You know, now the downside to that with, with me saying that it happens so infrequently is that with the turnover rate that you have in the penitentiary, most officers, man, they don't last their first year. I imagine. Okay. Now the problem with that is you get a new boot that comes in and they'll work their first two, three, four months and never have an incident. Okay. They come in. They come in super cautious, super on point, doing everything they need to do. And they'll go their first three, four, six months and never have a problem. And they'll start to let that guard down. And the minute they let that guard down and they get comfortable and they get complacent, something big happens. Something big, something real bad happens. And they're not ready for it. What's the, you know, what's the worst thing that you experienced in that in that time frame that you were there oh brother um so i i would have to say realistically the absolute worst thing uh is is a riot and i've i've been through three riots and uh god every one of them's bad (laughs) like like it's hard to say oh this one was worse than this one no they all suck ass they're all fucking trash um there's there's two things about a about a riot that are that are that are arguably the most disturbing thing um and they both come down to the noise the first thing is the noise of a riot, the sound of a riot, because it's deafening. You have a you have a concrete building. You know, if, if you have a, if you have a riot in a day room, which you know it's a it's a concrete and steel building. You got sixty men in the day room, and they're all just fighting. You know, and just the the noise itself it, it's it, it's absolutely terrible but the only noise scarier than that is the sound just before a riot when you walk into that same day room you have 60 men sitting around and there's not a sound not a word no foot tapping, no dominoes clicking, no one talking. 60 people 
sitting in the most awkward, uncomfortable silence you've ever felt in your life. And that's the signal? That's that's how you know something's brewing? Well, there, there's a couple things. Uh, there's there's a couple things that you can look into that will uh, that will very much give it away. Um, and it comes down to what I was saying earlier about that prison culture, that prison society. There is a there's a mentality and a, a societal aspect to being in the penitentiary. Um, one of the biggest things, one of the absolute biggest giveaways that you can have that something real bad's about to pop off. Look around your day room and start paying attention to what kind of shoes people are wearing. So typically in the day room, uh, you, you can't wear your shower slides. You know, you got to wear either your, your tennis shoes or uh, what we call Jackie Chans. They're like uh, little, they're kind of like little slip-on, you know, they're a canvas top with a rubber sole. Yeah. You know, but if you look around and you know it's, you know, six o'clock at night and, uh, 40 of the 60 people in your day room have their work boots on and they're laced up. You know, that's a, that's a major, major giveaway that, uh, someone's about to get their head kicked in, (laughs) you know, that's, it's, it's something real bad's coming. Uh, you can always tell when you're, uh, when you're doing wreck that way too, because, a lot of your guys when they go to the rec yard, they wanna they either wanna run, you know, they wanna run laps, or they're gonna play basketball, or they're gonna play handball. Uh, but if you start letting out to the rec yard, and as you're letting your guys out, you start to realize that you know three quarters of the people you're pulling off the building have their have their boots on. You know, you're not running laps in boots. Yeah, you're not you're not shooting basketball in boots. You know, it, it just, it starts to become a real obvious thing. Um, and I mean, we, we, we had some bad stuff go down, man, as far as, as far as riots are concerned, you know, they're, um, realistically, they're, they're usually fairly well contained. You know, if you can, if it happens on the building, at least they're in that wing, you know, they're they're in there. They're contained. You don't let them out. You don't let no one in. Simple as that. Until the until the team arrives, and then you let the team go in, clear it out. Uh, but when you get one that pops off on the rec yard, or uh, oh the chow hall, the chow hall was always the worst. Like if, the uh, like the lunchroom, you mean? Yeah, yeah. The the cafeteria for uh, for those not so. Not so uh, initiated. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so the uh, the chow hall, the chow hall is one of those uh, when you when you send inmates when you send inmates in to eat, they come in in shots of thirty. You know, thirty at a time. They come in, they sit down. Next shot comes in, they sit down. Next shot comes in, sit down. So eventually, you know, you got a you got a chow hall that's got you know 120, 150 people in it, and uh, you might have three or four officers in there if you're lucky. And uh, all of a sudden, someone starts fighting, you know, and you gotta, you gotta hope that you can get it handled before the lieutenant and the sergeant 
out front realize what's going on because once they realize something's going on, they're going to shut the doors. And once they shut the doors, that means they're going to start pumping gas into that, uh, into that cafeteria. And, uh, man, right. Gas sucks. (laughs) Like, 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 like they'll pump it in there with you in there. Yeah, yeah, you know, because you can't uh, you can't open the door to let people out, and uh, if you're in there, well, you're in there. So hunker down and get ready, because uh, man, this shit is terrible. It is bad. Uh, you can you can look it up. It's uh, it's kind of cool to see. You know, anyone anyone who's ever done any kind of uh, it was in any of the military. When you go through your gas chamber training, you can ask. It it won't kill you. It's not going to kill you. But man, you will wish you die. It, it is, it is really unpleasant stuff. Uh, CS, uh, CS riot gas. It's uh, it's pretty pretty terrible. Uh, it will open up every pore and orifice on your body, and you will leak continuously. Oh uh, God! Even yeah, from your yeah. ass. Uh, well, I mean, you might as well. Uh, <laughs> after, I mean, your your clothes are already ruined. Shit your pants. Who cares? Wow. You know, uh, and I'll tell you, I'll tell you how bad how bad some of it is, man. Because I was actually uh, I was on the road. Uh, this was we had we had not had a this was not a riot the day before. We had actually just uh, we had done a uh, a cell extraction uh, the night before on an inmate, we, uh, we ran a cell extraction team. And, uh, you know, when you do that, you gas the inmates and, you know, then you go in, you get them down, cuff them up, remove them from the situation, et cetera, so on and so forth. Well, when you get done, you kind of go through a big decan- decontamination process. You know, you're washing your hands and your face and everything, you know, well, uh, this was the next day, probably at least, 16 to 20 hours after that uh i'm in i'm in a car with a uh with a fellow officer we were we were headed to a show out in austin and uh we're cruising listening to the radio laughing talking carrying on and i reached up and i scratched my eye i had a had an itch well i had a chemical agent still like in my cuticle (laughs) And, uh, yeah, that was enough to just turn the waterworks on and swell my eye up. And we had to pull over to a gas station and scare a poor clerk. And it was, it was a hard time. Oh my God, dude. That's, I don't know, dude, that's, that's some next level shit, dude, that you've been through. And, and I have to imagine that. Do you have, like, do you think you have like a form of PTSD? Uh, you know what? Uh, I'm here. Here's what I'm going to say. For out of respect to those that do have PTSD that are medically diagnosed, I'm going to say no, because I have not been medically diagnosed. And I think it's unfair for those that are suffering from a true and real condition for me to say, oh, yeah, I've got that, too. But But on that note, on that note, uh, I will say that there are um, there are things that I don't do anymore. There are things that I'm not comfortable doing. Um, like one one of the biggest things you can have, a lot of a lot of law enforcement will tell you this as well. Uh, if I go into a restaurant, I don't like to sit anywhere where my back is not to a wall. 
And that just comes from that continuous training of never wanting to put yourself in a situation where someone can get behind you. So there has to be an actual physical wall behind you? You can't sit in like a booth? Well, no, a, a booth is fine, but there can't be like a hallway or like a door. You know, I, I need to be able to see the main entrance and exit of this facility, and I need to have something solid behind me. Gotcha. And that's just, you know, like I said, I, I, that, that's just one little thing. There's some other stuff. Um, actually, I, I'll tell you, this, this one's a little personal, but I'll put it out there. When I first came back uh, to Florida, I, had, uh, I was staying with a, uh, with a friend of mine here who uh, her and her family uh, were gracious enough to bring me in uh, when, I, when I first moved back because uh, Disney uh, requested me a lot sooner than I was originally prepared for, but uh, I was ready to go to work. I just didn't have my living arrangements set up at the time. So her and her family were nice enough to bring me in and let me crash with them for a couple of weeks while I got everything squared away. And uh, she worked uh, for Universal, and uh, she had uh, she'd got some comp tickets and uh, wanted to take her family and invited me along. And it was great. I was I was very excited. You know, I hadn't been to you know any of the theme parks in several several years at that point. So yeah, absolutely, let's go. Um, what I was not prepared for. <laughs> was how I was going to react to such a massive crowd at CityWalk. Oh, shit, yeah. <laughs> um, and, like, I didn't, I, I didn't freak out and have a breakdown or anything, but uh, I did, I did kind of, you know, get the, get the cold sweats, and I was, uh, I, I was clearly uncomfortable. Um, it was uh, not my favorite situation. And, uh, well, because that's like a, that that, was, that's a controlled riot. You know what I mean? Like that, that, that's simply all it is. Equivoc equivocally. That's what it came down to. You know, there were <laughs> in my head, it was just, Hey, there's too many fucking people standing up and moving around. You need to tell them to sit the fuck down. <laughs> but that's not an option. You know, I don't, I don't work here. This, <laughs> this, <laughs> this ain't my building. I can't just walk in and be like, all right, everybody sit down, shut up. So isn't that interesting because you now work because now you arguably work at even more of a controlled riot place because uh, I don't know what the numbers are, but I would imagine that Disney sees a bigger volume than Universal does. So it's it's interesting that, you know, when you have that suit on, when you have that badge, when you are in that zone, I imagine there's a different kind of thing. Uh, something going on in your head where you're not as affected by it because you are in a position of of power versus when you're just a you know a normal park goer and you see all these people you know you have no say over you know like what you just said like sit down like oh wait hold on i can't say that yeah well i'll, I'll tell you you mentioned that there's a couple of things that kind of go in that same ballpark um for starters i actually don't work in the parks um, partly, uh, partly for that reason, uh, the, the big crowds just really aren't my thing anymore. You know, I'm not, it, like I said, it's just, it's not my favorite thing to deal with. Uh, so I actually work in the resorts. Uh, so I spend, I spend most of my time, uh, working security 
at uh, at the resorts there on property. Um, but it is a little different. And, and I'll tell you the, the hardest thing. So my corrections experience is what got me this job at Disney. Um, because I'll, I'll give Disney that they're not just, they're not just hiring anyone that wants to work security. You know, they're, they're looking for people with backgrounds. They're looking for people with experience. Uh, I sat, I sat in my training class and the guy next to me, uh, was retired 25 years, uh, from either New York or New Jersey police department where he spent a majority of his time undercover busting drug, uh, drugs and gun smuggling and all kinds of stuff, you know, and now he's, you know, working at Disney showing people where Dumbo is, <laughs> you know, and, and I think that's, I think it's great, but man, you know, I had a hard enough time adjusting to the difference, you know, because you come in, it, like, this kind of goes back to what I said earlier with the penitentiary. It's not really how you picture it. Like, you don't just walk into a day room and, you know, all right, you asshole, shut the fuck up, sit down. You know, it, it doesn't work that way. <laughs> yeah. Because, again, it's that it, it's that 80 on 2 mentality. Okay. Oh, just, to, to, just to stop you there real quick. Why is that? Why yeah. is it? Why is it only two? Like, I don't know if you... I don't know if you covered that, but I might have missed it. But why is it only two versus so many other people? Oh, so, I mean, it would be great to have like a shitload of extra people. Um, but please keep in mind, I am only speaking uh, for my unit in Texas. Uh, so Texas is actually the second largest correction system in the nation, just behind California. Um, and what I mentioned earlier is your, your, your turnover. You have such a sheer turnover. It's really hard to keep people in this job. Uh, so realistically, we're happy to have three people on a building. That's like a treat. Yeah, you know, if we've got if we've got one person in the picket and two people on the floor, you know, we're happy to have that. You know, because we've we've been through situations where it gets short and you don't even have that. You know, one person on the floor, one person to pick it. And uh yeah, I mean realistically it's a it's a dangerous situation, you know. Uh I would I would love to see a situation where we would have more officers, you know, a, an adequate number uh of officers to do this job. But you know, at the time we had a we had a governor who uh, actually made a quote. If I could find it, I'd send it to you. But who actually made a quote that uh, you know monkeys in uniforms could do our job. So he had no interest in supporting us in any way, shape, or form. That's an actual quote. He called you a, a monkeys. No, 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 not not said that we were monkeys, but oh. saying that monkeys in uniforms could do our job. I mean, in, in a way, he's calling you a monkey. Yeah. What you know, the it's, fuck? Uh, yeah, it's a it's a bold fucking statement for a man who won't set foot on my penitentiary. Right? Oh, God damn it, man. Yeah. But that, but that's okay, man. You know, because here's the thing: CEOs, CEOs are are an unsung fucking 
member of the criminal justice department. That's all. That's all it is. Yeah. <laughs> you know, look, cop, cops get all kinds of praise, man. Cops get songs and dances and parades, and you know what? They fucking deserve it. You know, cops go out there and bust their ass every day. But you know what cops do with the people they catch? They give them to you. They fucking bring them to us. Exactly. You know, we're not making these dudes ourselves. It's the it's the same people the cops dealt with that I now get to deal with for the next 15 years because he's a fuck up. Yeah, and and that I guess the interesting thing about that is suddenly if 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 the guy that the that the cops caught had any beef with the with the cops, suddenly that's sort of reverted now because now like you said they're just kind of tossed on your doorstep, so now that beef is sort of transferred over to you and and again, that cop really doesn't have to see any sort of, you know, uh, of the uh, of the effects of that. You know, I mean, assuming that the the catch is uh, accomplished without any, you know, physical harm to the cop, it's a pretty easy thing. They just catch them, and then, all right, here you go. Now it's your problem. Yeah. Well, look, I, I would I would never go to say that it's an easy thing. You know, like I said, I have I have all the respect. Pardon me, I have all the respect in the world uh, for what cops do. You know, they, they have a, they have a hard job. I don't want to fucking do it. So I've got no room to say how they should or shouldn't do their job. Yeah. There's a, there's a great YouTube channel. I've talked about it a little bit, but uh, I don't know if you're familiar with it. It's called police activity. I don't think so. No. Oh, dude, it's just, I mean, it's, it's the, it's the uncensored, it's the, it's the body cam footage and it shows the good and the bad of cops. So it's, 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 yeah. it's very straight down the middle you're going to get clips of cops doing good stuff and then you're going to get clips of cops doing like the shadiest shit and you know it's it's a it's a real eye opener in terms of you know cuz i think for the most part i think cops get a bad rep um and uh this channel kind of provides you know some light on that but then of course you do like i said get those clips where you know you see the cops and you know they're shouting and they're they're you know choking people and they're slamming them down and and you know it's 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 where's that well, fine line? Well, look, man, I, I'll tell you straight up, we get the same thing. Yeah, where's your channel? So, where's your channel? <laughs> well, no, 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 it's not not so much about that. As a CO, one of the things you notice a lot that we see a lot, especially in part of our high turnover rate, we get a lot of people that couldn't cut it as a cop. You know. We get a lot of people that come to us because they wanted to be a cop and something about them disqualifies or discredits them from being able to do that. Whether they couldn't pass the physical, whether they couldn't pass the mental, the psyche valve, whatever their problem is. So they come in automatically with this chip on their shoulder, thinking that they're a cop, wanting to act like a cop, when in the reality of the situation, that doesn't work here. Is there a, um, is there like a, is there a, uh, I don't know what the word is, but for someone like that, is there sort of a, uh, what, what am I trying to say? Is there like when, when someone like that, uh, approaches or comes into the environment, is there someone that's sort of like a trainer for them? Like, does there, like, is there someone that stands by their side and tells them, you know, oh, okay, don't do this. Gotcha. Gotcha. So, so here's the thing, you know, we come through, 
you you apply, you do your psyche eval, you do your general fitness thing, you you get the green light. Okay. Once you get the green light, you go to the academy, you do your academy, you then report to your unit. When you report to your unit, you actually go through a uh, like a shadowing process, uh, where yes, you are you are paired with an officer who basically shows you you know, you have you have an FTO, it's your field training officer who shows you how to do things. Now, what you have to hope for though is that you've got an FTO that's worth a shit. Yeah, <laughs> you know, and and realistically, that's the that's the fact of the matter. I was lucky enough when I came in, I got paired up with uh, with an officer on our shift who was phenomenal. She was she was absolutely great. You know, she she laced me up from the very beginning. Uh, she was she was fantastic, wonderful. You know, so I got very lucky with that. Uh, that that's another thing too that may come to surprise a lot of people. I say she, we uh, we actually had a pretty high number of female officers. Wow, that's good. I mean, yeah. that's the you know that's the whole. I mean, what is that like? Do you think they have it harder? Uh, I I can't say they have it harder. I will say they absolutely have it different, and it, it boils down to a couple different things. Something you notice uh, as a as a male officer, our unit in particular, my unit had a lot of younger inmates. Uh, like easily 65 to 70% of our population was under the age of 30. Okay. So we got a lot of young dudes. And for some reason, young dudes are a lot more apt to listen to a female officer than they are to listen to a male officer. And I don't know if it's just because, Hey, this is basically mom or, you know, I didn't have a dad growing up in the first place. So I'm not going to listen to no man now. You know what the whatever the psychology of the situation is, female officers do tend to have it. It feels as though they do kind of have an easier time uh, getting a point across or maintaining general control of a building. Uh, on the flip side, though, I don't have inmates showing me their dick all the time. Oh fuck! Yeah, that that happens a lot. Uh, so. Now, now the downside to that, you know, as a female officer, it, it is an it is an infraction. I mean, you can you chalk an inmate up for it. They'll catch a case. They'll catch punishment. They'll go to, you know, is what it is, so on and so forth. But the issue is, you have to do it every time because all it takes is for one or two inmates to start to get the idea that you don't have a problem with it, and now all of them are doing it. Jesus Christ. Oh my God. Yeah. It's a, it's a, it's an absolute mess, man. And as a, as a male officer, that's not something that I ever really had to deal with. You know, I mean, there, there is the occasion where throughout the, my patrols, cause I worked, I worked nights, you know, 6 PM to 6 AM, 12 hour shifts. There were, there, there was of course the, uh, you know, the occasional situation where I'd come around during count time and you catch dude beating his dick. It happens. You know, now the <laughs> I mentioned that there's actually uh, there is uh, verbiage in the inmate handbook about how and when and uh, they are uh, able to masturbate. Uh... The, an, an actual, <laughs> an actual, 
an actual step-by-step process of how they need to be and how covered they need to be and where they need to be positioned within their cell. Da 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 da. Yeah, it's it's actually broken down because uh, state of Texas, as far as the penitentiary is concerned, uh, does not allow tobacco and does not allow pornography. So one of the one of the first things you, know, you picture in your head for inmates is an inmate in his house, you know, smoking a cigarette, looking at a Playboy, and he can't have either of those things here. Oh God! <laughs> yeah. It's a it, it's it's a hard knock life, brother. I I get it, you know, but there's there's a huge difference between catching someone accidentally and walking by and he's got his fucking Becker head pressed up to the grate. You know, <laughs> <laughs> there's a huge difference. Um, but yeah, so I mean, for for a situation like that, I you know I, I don't have to deal with that. So I couldn't even begin to explain to an officer how they should deal with that. You know. And everyone kind of had their own mentality and the way they went about things and the way they did it. Um, you know, but it's, it's things you start to realize, uh, you know, one of the, one of the big things I'll put out there, and this is probably the thing that surprises a lot of people the most when you start talking about being a corrections officer, uh, when you're out on the floor and you're doing your job and your general patrols and whatnot, so on and so forth, uh, you're not armed. You know, you, you don't you don't have a gun, you don't have a, a nightstick or a, a baton or any of that. You know, you've got a you've got a five ounce can of pepper spray and both hands. Make it work. Dude, it's just, you know, I knew this was uh, like you said, a hard knock life, both for I guess the the inmates and for the correctional officers, but Jesus, dude, I mean this is this is like a big PSA for just, you know, stay away from this thing. Don't, d- d- don't aspire to be it. <laughs> Look, now, now here's, here's the thing, right? I really can't say that. Because, yeah, I, I went through some shit. I, I saw some bad stuff. I had some hard times, you know, but I don't regret it. You know, it, it molded part of the person that I am today, both positively and negatively, but it uh, more positives than negatives. Some of my coworkers I had there will be my absolute best friends for the rest of my life because, you know, we we've been in it. You know, that's a that's a kind of trust and a kind of bond that you can't just get from, you know, flipping burgers or working it, you know working at the, you know, selling cars or any of that kind of thing, you know, or doing a, or or doing an Abbott and Costello skit. (laughs) Yeah. Right. Uh, Yeah. We've, we've been through some shit too, but it's, it's different. Yeah. (laughs) You know, it mostly was, Oh fuck, this light's not working. Go get Jason Cazella. If if you, if you get a wild, um, rest in peace, brother. God bless you. Right. But if, uh, you know, you get a wild hair. I'll take you into a riot with me. We'll see how you fare. You know, we'll have an easier time suiting you up than we did suiting me up because that was a <laughs> that was a big problem we had at my unit. My big fucking head. We uh, we only had about one helmet that actually fit me right. So <laughs> so if we had to if we had to start suiting up a team to do a cell extraction or go in to to bust up a situation, you know, depending on who else is on the team, we kind of had to do a little bit a little bit of finagling. 
uh, <laughs> to get everybody the right equipment and make sure it fit right and you're good to go because nothing nothing's worse than running into a cell that's full of you know full of chemical agent to get this dude and then you realize your gas mask doesn't fit right yeah you know that's hard hard times bad bad way to be what's the what's the um what's the ratio of men versus women in in, in terms of inmates oh now so it is uh 100 to none and 100 to none so my unit is a men's penitentiary there there are no female inmates on my penitentiary all right so you know, uh female female units tend to be their own thing and you couldn't pay me enough to work there seriously yeah why yeah. why so uh as far as the conditions in texas are concerned there is as a male officer there is a lot that i cannot even do at a female penitentiary you know actual parts of my job that i do every day at a men's penitentiary i cannot do there and i understand why because it it is a it is a very difficult power dynamic so what what it boils down to is it it really is it, it, it's a power dynamic that's that's what it comes down to you've got at a at a at a men's penitentiary okay if a if an officer and an inmate are caught engaged in sexual activity it's rape whoa regardless of whether the officer and the inmate both admit that it was consensual. It's rape because that officer holds a position of authority over that inmate. Wow, uh, I had to let that sink in for a second. That's so. So that's yeah. just. I it, mean, they've clearly that's that's been the case. Like 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 they they had to experience that for them to be like, all well, right, look, well. Man, I, I'll tell you right now, uh, dirty bosses are a lot more prevalent than it seems. Oh yeah, there's Harvey Weinstein's everywhere. <laughs> well, not not so much that man, but I'm talking about you know on on our unit, we had a lot of female officers get fired for fucking around with inmates. Damn. You know, we had we had inmates that took pride in it. We had a we had a dude back in EC, which is kind of like our solitary lockup. In the in the time that he had been locked up in a Texas penitentiary, he's gotten seven female officers fired mm. for either for either messing around or bringing him stuff, you know. Because he don't he don't care. Yeah, you know, he'll he'll tell you he loves you all day long as long as you're doing something for him. But then once they get caught, he's like, oh yeah, you know, she was bringing me all this and she was doing that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so they had to, and when I say they, I mean obviously the 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 facility itself. They had to experience that, or the state of Texas had to experience something like that. And now they just now they avoid that, and you don't even come into contact with a female inmate. Uh, well, here's the thing: you can be a male officer working at a female unit, but there's a lot of your job that you just you can't do. You cannot be involved in use of force which I used to be involved. I used to get picked 
specifically to do use of the force at my unit. You know, you, you can't be involved in use of force. You can't strip search inmates. I used to have to strip search inmates all the time on my unit. You know, and it's not that, you know, it's not that I want to do these things. I'm not looking to beat up women and force them to let me see them naked. You know, that's not my argument. My my point is that it's safety protocol that I can do here that I can't do there. So I have no interest in being there if I'm only going to be able to do a quarter of my job. Gotcha. Gotcha. Because if if something ever happens because of something that I was unable to do, you know, that's a that's a something that's gonna weigh on me. That's something I've gotta hold in my head. Whereas at a men's unit, if something ever happens, you know, and I find out about it after the fact, I can say, Oh, well, I wasn't even working that day or I wasn't on that building where I could have strip searched that inmate before he got out. You know? So And that's so that's the, that's the ratio of of the interaction, but is it safe to say that there's far 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 less women than men in these prisons? Oh oh yeah, just sheer numbers in general. Um, in Texas, I know for sure we only had about three female units. There were probably more, but there's three that I know of for sure. Whereas there are dozens of men's penitentiaries. And that's, you know. that's proof. That's, I mean, that is literal proof that, you know, it's, I mean, it would be common knowledge, right? It's a, it's a cliche, but it's a, it sounds like it's a cliche. That's true. There's, there's more violent men in the world than there are violent women. Well, here's the thing. It's not always violent crime, brother. That's true. Because I'll, be, You're I'll, right. be, I'll be, I'll be, I'll be perfectly honest with you. I'm, you know, we, we had a lot of the dudes locked up for drugs. You know, we got a lot of dudes locked up for drugs. And I don't know how much of that I actually agree with. Yeah, yeah, it's, you know, as as far as the legalities and drug laws in our country, Mm -hmm. you know, you know, if you're if you're moving coke and you, you know, end up getting a shootout with a cop and you shoot a 12 year old kid in the face. Yeah, of course, you need to go to jail, you know. You, you need to be locked up. But if you're just, you know, you, you smoke some weed every now and then, you get pulled over and you get caught with, you know, a quarter ounce in your car, what are we doing? Yeah, I kind of, uh, I definitely kind of agree with you, man. I don't know the the logistics around it all and, 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 and how it's how it's determined, what's legal, what's not legal. I'm not very keen on that. I don't know if you are, but it's, it's something I definitely agree with. You know, it's, it's, well, I mean, you know, we, we got a lot of guys. I will say this. We got a lot of guys. You don't go to prison on your first drug charge, especially if it's minor, you know, you might go to jail. You might actually serve some time, you know, but you're not going to end up at a penitentiary like where I was. So that's sort yeah. of like that's I'd like love, a like that's a like a, a, a what the hell is it called a a repeat offender. Yeah, yeah. I mean, now unless it's a lot offender. Like, I mean, if you're <laughs> if you're if your first bust is like several several kilos, you know, <laughs> or you know multiple multiple pounds, you know whether you're metric or not, you know you you're yeah that that would be a different issue. 
um, and listen, I'm I'm not a I'm not a lawyer. I'm not a big you know I'm not uh, into the law and all that, so I wouldn't be able to tell you for sure. But you know those kinds of things. That's how that plays out. You got but, a good you know, last we, name we for it. Of, you got a good last name yeah, for right. it. Bowman and Bowman. Yeah, right. It, it's beautiful. <laughs> it looked great on a sign. Uh, but uh, you know we we had a lot of that. And I'll tell you, truth be told, my unit in particular, we had a we had a lot of sex crimes. Mm. You know, yeah, it, it's a it's a very uncomfortable, icky subject, but that's what it comes down to. I mean, we had a we had a lot of, of uh, you know pedophile related activity on my unit. And that's a I mean, that's a form of violence. You know what I mean? So. Uh, oh, absolutely. Yeah. No, no doubt at all. So uh, that that wasn't to detract from your violent offense statement. No, that's absolutely a form of violence. I don't disagree with you, you know, but uh, that is that is something that we that we dealt with uh, a lot that we dealt with significantly. Have you ever seen this movie? And, it's uh, it's called Monsters Ball. Yes. Is that something like is is is, is that something similar to what you saw, like what's depicted in that movie? I'm gonna need you to be a little more specific for me. Oh, sorry. Uh, uh, specifically, the Billy Bob Thornton character, where he's where he's working at the, I guess it's a penitentiary, and they take the guy. It's a, I I actually think it's uh, P Diddy is the guy that plays the the character. They take him to um, uh, death row. Is that something that you ever experienced or no? Uh, so my unit actually didn't house death row. Uh, that's, that's one thing. Uh, that's another thing. A lot of people always think, oh, okay, well, all prisons have death row. No, that's, that's not the case. Uh, in, in my particular situation, uh, the Polunsky unit up the street, uh, next couple cities over, uh, Polunsky unit housed death row and, uh, the walls unit out in Huntsville, they housed death row. And there's a few others that house it as well. Um, so I never really had any kind of encounters with death row guys. Um, the, the most, the most type of situation we ever had was people that, uh, you know, I, I had plenty of dudes that were serving multiple life sentences. Yeah. So that's a, which is, that's a form of death. Yeah. Which, I mean, it's essentially a death sentence. Yes. But the state's not going to do it directly. Yeah. You know, but I mean, we had, we had guys with multiple life sentences and that's, and that's the thing about, you know, movies and TV shows and all that type of stuff. You know, some of it is way exaggerated, like way blown out of proportion. Um, you know, like I would, I would arguably say that, uh, you know, 90% of the sexual contact inmate to inmate, it's all consensual. But it gets, yeah. but it gets blown out of proportions. Oh well, not, now here's the thing, though. You know, it, I mean, it, it happens. I'm, I'm not gonna lie to you. I mean, rape is a, rape is a realistic thing. You know, but because of that, I mean, we have, we have guidelines in place to try to prevent that as much as we can. Uh, we have housing guidelines. That's another thing. Like a lot of people will think that, you know. The the running the running joke in a lot of movies is that, you know people someone goes to jail or they go to prison and they're like all right get in the cell here's your new cellmate and it's just this six foot nine four hundred pound monster and uh, 
that's that's actually not the case. Uh, so we have we have housing guidelines as far as who you can actually be in a cell with. Um, like realistically, based on our guidelines, you and I wouldn't even be allowed to share a cell. Oh, that's a fucking good thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it, it comes down to uh, let's see if I remember. It's been a minute. It's uh, ten years in age, six inches in height, and I think forty pounds. Wow, wow, and that's so, and, and that's all across the country, or it's various. Th- this is this is at my unit. Gotcha. This is Texas penitentiaries. I I can't speak for other penitentiaries. I can't speak for other states. I don't know how they run their things. But for Texas penitentiaries, that's what it boiled down to. You would imagine it's, it's similar, yeah. right? Oh uh, well, yes, because uh, PREA, the Prison Rape Elimination Act, was put into place by President Bush. So it's a it's a federal guideline, but I don't know if all states run that same exact schematic. Because uh, I'll tell you, it's difficult. You know, trying to trying to pair random people up just within that aspect. Yeah, because yeah, because you, yeah, because you can't control who's coming in. So what if you just get like endless amounts of bulky guys? <laughs> well, well, here's the thing: if you get endless amounts of bulky guys, you house the bulky guys together. Oh God! But then that's like but, that's like that's looking for a riot. <laughs> you know what? You'd really be surprised. Because a lot of, I mean, we had, we had some big dudes on the unit, man. We had some, you know, and I'm, I'm a big dude, you know, but we had some absolute monsters poking around out there, you know? And, uh, now a lot of those guys, yeah. I mean, they had to, they had to live by themselves. We had a guy that, uh, he was easily 6'10", 6'11", and maybe... Maybe 210 pounds. Real tall, skinny dude. Wow. Couldn't house him with nobody. So where'd he go? Well, he stayed, he, he had a cell to himself. Ooh, lucky for bastard. The entire, for almost the entire time I was on the penitentiary. Because when you're, when you're already, you know, let's say 6'10 for easy math, okay? The smallest, the shortest guy I can put you with is someone who's 6'4". Gotcha. You know, <laughs> and and the most he can weigh is two hundred and fifty pounds. So to be six four and two fifty, you're a, you're a freight train. I mean, that's a that's a that's a stout fella. Yeah. You know, <sighs> but. We we ain't got a lot of guys that look like that poking around, you know. What's your what's your take on uh, what's your take on death row? Do you think that's something that should exist or shouldn't exist? Uh, I personally, brother, uh, I support the death penalty. Uh, I believe I believe that it should exist. I believe it should be carried out. Um. And state of Texas is actually one of the states that carries it out faster than anyone else. What's the you know? well? Oh, so, so, okay. So what's the um, what's the quickest you've ever seen it? Well, like I said, I didn't I didn't work a unit that actually had a death row. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, but there is there is policy in the state of Texas. If you you know 
because you, you get a date and it's all based on, you know, when you get locked up. And then there's, you know, you can, you can have offsets and you can have retrials and you can have all types of stuff that can, they can set it off and push it back and push it back, you know, but if you are, uh, if you go to prison in the state of Texas, you go to trial and there are more than three credible eyewitnesses that saw you do what you did and you're being sentenced to death, you go straight to the front of the line. Mm. Now, to have three credible eyewitnesses to any crime that is death penalty worthy is it's a stretch. It, you know, that's that's rough. You know. But if if it exists and they can prove it within without a you know without a shadow of a doubt. Yeah. Now the big the big issue of course is you know, because there's there's been documentaries and stuff put out about dudes that have sat on death row for ten, fifteen, twenty years and then found to be not guilty. Well yeah, I mean, but yeah. that's that's like that's I mean I mean good that he didn't get, you know, you know, he, he 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 didn't see the final part of of of, of yeah. uh, death row. But I mean, there's there's there there's arguments for uh, you know even just guys sitting in prison. I mean, like you know, what are we? Why are we paying for all this shit to just keep them in there and and just kind of live a subpar life? You know? Oh yeah. Now I mean, there's there's plenty of people that argue that you know death row should be immediate. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you should you should be set. You know, the minute the judge bangs the gavel, but but you're guilty, sentenced to death. They take you right out back and do it right there. Never even house you'd never have to pay for you. Um, now, funny thing about Texas penitentiaries, though, and again, I can I say this for Texas penitentiaries, not everybody else. Uh, a lot of our penitentiaries are what they call working penitentiaries. So we either have uh, some sort of factory or textile. Or we had uh, we had farms, so a lot of our penitentiaries actually produce product and either help pay for themselves or cut down the amount of tax dollars that actually have to go into the penitentiary, you know, due to uh, from inmate labor. So there's a benefit to it. Oh, well, I don't know if benefit's the right word. A lot of people argue that it's, you know, it, it's slave labor. You've got people working against their will, you know, to not make any money, to actually to make money for the state to pay for the penitentiary. Because inmates in Texas don't get a paycheck. That's that's not how this works. Yeah, rightfully so. You know, Um you know, and there, there's people that argue that it's that it's slave labor. And it's like, well, you know, you you didn't have to come here. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, but on that same token, uh, a lot of penitentiaries in Texas, they offer GED programs. They offer uh, college courses. They offer vocational certificates, you know, that type of stuff. There's there's a lot of guys that, you know, they they, they push for a rehabilitation, you know, and you get a guy that comes in, he, he's arrested in and out of jail most of his life. He goes to prison. He doesn't have a high school degree, you know, and part of his parole process, if he wants to make parole, he actually has to get his GED before he can leave. 
That's good. Give him a goal. You know, and, and that's just it. It's it's trying your best to give him a fair shake. You know, it's hard it's hard enough to find a job as a as a former inmate. You know, if you release trying to find a job as a former inmate, that's hard enough. Now imagine trying to leave, find a job as a former inmate that doesn't have a high school diploma. Yeah. Ah, uh, shit. You know, so it's, you know, there's, there's a lot of aspects to look into and there, there's a lot about it, you know, us and I, I can't speak for other states and other, you know, agencies, how they, how they conduct themselves. But those are just some of the things that I know that we did for sure, you know, and there, there's a lot that's covered. You know, we had, we had religious programs, we had religious services, um, we had, I, I don't know what their actual religion was. I can't think of the name. Uh, but we had a group of inmates that, uh, did the, the Viking religion thing. You know, they had, uh, they had their, their little necklaces with their amulets and whatnot. And, you know, but there was a, there was a large enough group of them that, that wanted it. And they submitted the paperwork and the state did the, uh, the state did the work and said, okay, yeah, sure. You can have it. Hmm. Well, I mean, there's one thing we know, there's no Scientologists in there. <laughs> Should be. That's a different <laughs> issue. You know, it's... Looking, uh, at you, looking at you, David. Yeah, dude, fucking David Miscavige, he needs to be in the <laughs> fucking penitentiary, motherfucker. Um, yeah. It's safe to say, though, that this is all in your past, right? This is something you're probably never going to do again. Uh, you know what, brother? It, here's the thing. I don't really want to, <laughs> you know, it's not the, it's not the kind of thing I wake up in the morning. I'm like, Hey, you know, it'd be cool. Maybe you know, just, just a quick lockdown, just 12 hours. You know, let me, let me run through it. Let me, let me search a couple cells. Let me run the risk of getting stabbed. You know, uh, no, I, I don't, I don't miss it that much. Um, however, it, uh, it is a skill set that I have. It's a skill set that I have. It's a job that I've shown that I'm capable of doing that other people can't. Yeah. So if the, if the time were to present itself or I were to get in a situation where I just absolutely needed something different, it, it's in my pocket. It's, a, it's something that I can fall back on. The job security is there with it. I mean, prisons are always going to be around. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, they're always going to be looking for, you know, like that's some, that's, I mean, that's just a built in advantage that you have. I mean, you're just, you're intimidating to look at, you know? <laughs> yeah. And, and that's the same though, brother. I mean, it's really not about being intimidating. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've, I've got that. <laughs> I've got that on lock. However, I've also got half a fucking brain and I can talk to you. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's the biggest thing. You get a lot of these guys. I'll, I'll tell you, but one of, one of the hardest things we had to deal with. So to be a corrections officer in the state of Texas, you could start at 18 years old. Yeah, wrap your brain around that. Yeah, that's what I'm doing. Think, think, think about the dude that sat behind you in English 4 and, and now picture him working in a prison. Mm, yeah. It's, it's, fucking, it's fucking horrifying. You know, 
And the biggest problem we would have, man, is that, you know, we'd have, we'd have kids that, you know, we were, we were hurting there for a while, man. We, we really, really needed people. You know, we really needed people and we had sign on bonuses, you know, heavy, heavy sign on bonuses, like five grand. I mean, we were, we were pushing for folks and people would see that and they'd go, Oh, well, hell yeah. You know, I'll, sign up i'll take the job i'll get my five grand i'll work a little while and then i'll move around you know but you had you had men and women i use that term loosely coming in that had never never even worked a real job before yeah fresh out of high school (laughs) and they're coming into the they're coming into the penitentiary this is your first job oh man Man, you're you're not gonna you're not gonna be able to hang here. Well, what's the difference? What's the difference? Because a lot of uh, people do do military right out of high school. What's the difference between doing military and doing uh, the penitentiary? Uh, well, you know, for being someone who never served in the military, I can't accurately say because I don't know everything you have to go through there. Now, I'm not saying that. I should probably I should probably readjust my statement. I can't say that not anybody, you know, just nobody fresh out of high school can do this. I'm sure there's people that could, but I'm sure you also see the reality of the situation that we saw where there's a lot of people who fucking can't. Oh yeah, for sure. And you know also the I would I would arguably have to say that one of the biggest differences between is kind of a a similarity and a difference between uh, the the corrections and the military. The biggest similarity is that we both very very strongly push an us versus them mindset. Okay. Does that make sense? Oh yeah. You know, in the in the military, it's us versus them. It's American soldiers versus them. Whoever the them happens to be, Russians, North Koreans, the Atlanteans, whoever we're going to war with next. You know, us versus them. Whereas in the penitentiary, it's very much an us versus them, officers and inmates. Now, the absolute biggest difference, I believe, and this is what leads to that critical failure. One, the military gets, you know, longer top tier training. The penitentiary doesn't. You know, my my academy was five and a half weeks long. That's yeah. I mean, it's there's so so so, so there's really no kind of rank that you can achieve. Oh, now now that's that is another similarity. There is rank. Okay. You know, so working working night shift at the penitentiary, our highest ranking officer was our lieutenant. So there, there is a ranking system similar to the military. It's a little bit different. You know, um, at, in, in the penitentiary, you have officers, sergeants, lieutenants, captains, majors, uh, assistant warden, warden, you know, as you run up. So similar to the military, military's got a bunch of other, like levels and tiers that I don't know, and I'm not going to embarrass myself by pretending that I do. 
Yeah, no, no, um, you're fine. It's just uh, <laughs> the reason I asked that was because it's, you know, it's, again, fresh out of high school, these guys, these girls are going into these positions of awesome responsibility. And it's sort of a question of, it, you know, are they actually ready for it? No matter how much training they get at 18 years old, are you actually even ready for that? You know, that's the well, real question. The reality of the situation, and, and you're, you're absolutely right. It really just boils down to who you are as a person, you know, and, and age, honestly, you know, if, if you're older, you have more life experience. That's just a, that is a general rule. You know, now that doesn't necessarily make you a better or a worse person. It's just a fact of life. The longer you've been alive, you've seen more shit. You know, whereas, you know, I say we had this turnover. The turnover rate wasn't just involved with 18, 19-year-old, you know, boys and girls coming to the penitentiary fresh out of high school. That that turnover rate also involves 30-plus-year-old men and women, you know, 30-year-old-plus you know, men and women that are coming out of the military, that are coming to the penitentiary and go, nope, can't hack this. This ain't for me. And and I'll tell you right now, I got all the respect in the world for someone who's able to come in, give it a fair shake, and go, you know what, this just ain't my thing. You know, I I re- I respect that a hundred percent. I had a uh, had an officer that I worked uh, that I worked with for a majority of my career. He came in uh, about a couple months after I did. Uh, he was a good guy. He put the work in. He worked real hard. And he finally got uh, he made it to sergeant. Uh, he became a sergeant, and he was a sergeant for about three weeks, and then he, he gave up his bars and just went back to being a, an officer. Wow. That says a lot. <laughs> you know, and, and like I said, a lot of people gave him a lot of flack, you know, oh, well, you know, shit, if you're only going to, you know, if you're only going to do it for three weeks, then, you know, what's the point of, what's the point of even fucking doing it? But he was honest with himself. Yeah. And you got to be in that situation. You know? Yeah. He he went in. He he got the rank, which is already a step above most of these people that were talking shit in the first place. You know, he he went in. He showed he showed himself. He did his interview well. The the other ranking officers that made the decision believed that he deserved it. He got the rank. He held the position. You know, and then after about three weeks of doing it, he went, "Hey, you know what? This is uh, kind of bullshit." So, you know. So I, I don't I don't blind him. I got all the respect in the world for him trying it and realizing that okay, you know what, this isn't for me, and admitting that and stepping away, rather than a lot of the rank we had that would put themselves in that position, get the rank because they want the rank, they want the title, they want the paycheck, when in reality they're not great at the job. You know. And being in a position where you're a ranking officer in a situation like that, if you're not great at what you do, it's going to show. And it really, really runs the risk of putting a lot of people in a bad situation. For sure. For sure, dude. It's it, it, it's just commendable work, man. It's, it, it's, it's stuff that I know I could never do, and we need that stuff. You know, like you said, it's a great, uh, it's a great example of the cops just – 
giving them over to you. And that's what, that, you know, that's what happens. And, uh, more recognition needs to be going on. And, and, uh, are you like an advocate for something like that or, or, or not really? Oh, well, I mean, I'm, I'm not out marching and waving flags and shit, but you know, if, if I come across you in, as a, as a general person and we have a conversation and somehow I tend, I come to find out that you are or were a CEO, I am absolutely going to acknowledge you for that. And I'm going to shake your hand and I'm going to give you the credit you deserve, you know, gotcha. because I know other, because I know that other people aren't going to. Yeah. Yeah. Sad, but you know, it's true. And I mean, um, hopefully if anyone that's listening to this has anything to take away from it, it's hopefully that it's, you know, it's, if like Mason said, if you come across somebody that tells you they're a correctional officer, treat them as though they are law enforcement, treat them as though they are military. And you know, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a dirty job that not everybody can do. Uh, and, but it is a necessary job. Like you said, prisons ain't going anywhere. So it's, uh, commendable work man and i imagine uh shifting it over so we'll get off of this really heavy heavy topic that i <laughs> that, that i definitely wanted to make sure that we covered because i think it's important yeah now that i now that i fucking brought doom and gloom on everyone and, you know <laughs> the apocalypse is coming and yeah i imagine that uh uh well first of all do you still love horror movies oh brother i am i'm still uh, a major horror nut uh so when I when I went to Texas, one of the first jobs I actually took up, and I say I say job, um, I was uh, I was in college for a very short time, and up the street from my college campus uh, was a uh, was a haunted house, a a professional, uh, not year round. We still only ran during the season, but as a professional solid structure haunted house. Uh, I'm going to do a shameless pitch right now. World of Chaos Haunted House. Uh, please check us out. That is uh, it's Chaos with a K. K-H-A-O-S. Um, but absolutely check us out. Uh, but I went uh, and started volunteering with them because at the time we only had one car. Uh, so what would happen is my mom would go to work in the morning. She would drop me off or she would go to work and I would take the bus uh, from her offices uh, to my college campus, do my classes for the day. And then I'd always end up with, you know, three or four hours in the afternoon, uh, with nothing going on and no real way to get anywhere. So I got in with this haunted house and I would take the bus from the campus over to the, to the warehouse district where the house was. And, uh, I'd start working with them and, uh, you know, it started as a volunteer thing. And then, you know, during the off season, I would volunteer my time to come in and help build and design sets and create characters and that type of stuff. And then when the season came, you know, I, uh, I'd lend myself as an actor and, and it got to the point where I'd you know, get paid during the season and during the off season, just volunteer my time when I was around. Uh, so yeah, my, my love for horror branched off into that. And I did that, uh, for the entire, uh, the entire seven years that I was in Texas, uh, I worked with them. Yeah, man. That's one of my fondest memories of you because when you were in Florida, I remember we used to do, I don't know if it was just one year that I did it with you, but you used to do the haunted houses down here by the, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
you you came down and this uh now do you, do you know if they still do that or if the historic village is even still there? Do you... <laughs> I think they still do it. I think they still do it. Oh, that's cool as shit. Yeah, that was uh that was kind of a weird thing that we stumbled into um just working with them. Uh that was that was a humane society thing that uh they and my they and my mom talked about and got into. Um but uh but yeah, I, I worked with them. I worked with a couple other little haunts in uh you know, uh, around the area between there and Claremont and everything else. Um did you ever Oh, I don't know. This might have been before your time. Uh, did you ever work the haunted house at uh, Flagler Auditorium with us? I f- yes, I did. Yep. I was. I, I remember. I think I only did that for the for the one year because then I got I got caught up in in everything else. But uh, yeah, I remember. I remember doing that. That was a blast. Yeah, that was a. Uh... Wasn't that sort of uh, spearheaded or, or whatever the word is by uh, Nieberlein? Uh That that was that was through Nieberlein, uh because I don't know how much you know about that, but uh, Nieberlein used to work for uh, Terror on Church Street, which was a uh, a big deal haunted house here in Orlando uh, pre Halloween Horror Nights. Wow! Did not so know that. It, yeah, yeah. If you ever get a chance, there's a. Uh, it's either an episode of uh, Defunct Land, or uh, one of those on YouTube. I, I feel bad. I can't remember the name of the of the actual channel, but it's one of those like uh, you know that goes back and talks about the history of theme parks and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Uh, if you can find it, check it out because they do an episode about uh, Terror on Church Street and an episode about Skull Kingdom, and and Skull Kingdom was actually a. Uh, a year-round haunted attraction in Orlando. Um, and I actually worked with a guy in Texas, uh, Alan Hops, who uh, runs a massive, massive haunted house in Texas. Uh, and he used to work with uh, Skull Kingdom back in the day. So that's uh, that's kind of cool. Those are worth checking out if you get a little time. Oh man, that's cool. Did you correct me if I'm wrong? Did you ever get into actually working at Halloween Horror Nights? Uh, you know what? I didn't. And and I'll tell you why. It's it's simply the hours uh because you know with me uh with me working day shift doing security here, I usually work like 7 to 3:30. And then for me to work for Horror Nights, you know, I'd have to be there at like 5. And then I'm there till midnight or later and just trying to spread myself that thin. I just, I, I can't, I can't bring myself to do it. I mean, I could probably knock out like a weekend. Like if I could come in and just volunteer to do it, to say I did it, but trying to, trying to do a full season of that and give a hundred percent of myself, which I, I would have to do. I, man, I'd die. I, I just simply wouldn't be able to do that. <laughs> you would be so perfect for the chainsaw dudes. I'm at, look, uh, shout out to those dudes here real quick, because anyone that thinks you're bad, if you think, if you think you're a bad dude, if you think you're heavy, you think you're strong, you think you got it, go run a haunted house chainsaw, uh, for a full weekend, go, go do that. And then tell me how you feel because <laughs> it don't seem like much, but that will whoop your ass if you're not prepared for it, man. Swinging that swinging that saw around all night is uh, is rough. 
Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. I mean, that's another commendable job. It seems like, uh, but it seems like there might be a little bit of a difference because I would imagine that for something like maybe what you were doing, you were, uh, I don't know like what the parameters are for Halloween Horror Nights, but um, I I imagine the similarities are you both don't have act like an actual saw or like a chain on the saw, right? It's it's chainless. Oh, yeah. So so the saws that, that we would use uh, with with our show in, in Texas, everything about that is an actual chainsaw. <laughs> everything about it is 100% real, uh, except you've taken the chain off. Yeah. So it's it's 100% real. It doesn't lose any weight because the chain doesn't weigh a whole lot. You know, so that's that's really the only the only difference about it and then even some of ours we have you know we had what you would call uh you know the the saw that you use in the haunt and then we also had what we would call like show saws and these are the saws that we would take uh to like uh, parades and photo shoots and that type of stuff and what you would do is you would take uh you take the the chain off right and then along the bar you actually uh, weld a bicycle chain. Nice. So it doesn't have teeth. It doesn't have a cutting edge. But when the saw is not running and it's at a standstill and you get a chance to look at it, in your in your vision, your mind's eye, it appears as though, well, that saw has a chain on it. Yeah. Ooh. You know, but it, it, has, it has no teeth. It has no cutting edge. But for photos and, you know, uh, photo ops and that type of stuff, it looks a lot better than a saw that very clearly doesn't have a chain on it. Yeah. But do you think that the ones at Halloween Horror Nights are legitimately heavy? Because I don't ever really see those guys waving it over their head, you know, like Leatherface style. Well, a couple things about that. One, a lot of that has to do with uh, the fact that they have to run it all night. Because that's, that's the first thing, right? I'll tell you right now. Because every guy we brought in that we said, hey, do you want to run saws tonight? They go, oh, fuck yeah, of course you do. Because why why wouldn't you? That's the, you know, that's the creme de la creme of working a haunted house is running a, running a chainsaw. You know, that's the, that's the thing that everybody thinks they want to do. Um, and that's the first thing people do, too. When you give them a chainsaw and you okay, here you go. Fire this up and uh, show me what you got. Go a little crazy with it. The the first thing everybody does is they want to they want to do the, they want to do the dance of death from the end of you know Texas Chainsaw Massacre, you know and I get it because I still do it every time even though I know it sucks and it's gonna hurt <laughs> I don't give a shit it's fun and it looks amazing so <laughs> you know so I'm gonna Gunner Hansen it absolutely I was gonna say you're gonna Gunner um, Hansen it or Andrew Bernarski no no I'm gonna Gunner Hansen <laughs> uh, because Andrew Bernarski uh, I am not going to shit talk Andrew Brynarski's Leatherface. I think he did a really good job, but he also had a forty pound chainsaw like a fucking psychopath. <laughs> he used he used a massive ass like Husqvarna lumber saw, something that had like a like a twenty two or twenty eight inch bar on it. I mean, it's ridiculous. Uh, whereas you know the the McCullough that Gunnar Hansen used was only, I think it was only about a 14, maybe a 16 inch bar. Uh, and then the ones that we use, we typically use a home light and it's like about a 14 inch bar, you know? So to wave something like what he drug around all day, that's a, that's a different beast. Um, 
but I, I would like to put it out there. I'm going to go ahead and say it. Anyone that listens to this, uh, to this show or has any information about Halloween Horror Nights chainsaws, reach out to me because <laughs> I am very curious. I have, I have questions uh, in regards to I'm not 100% sure if they're gas or electric. Ooh, that's a good question. Dude, do you know, um, do you know, I think you might know him because I think we might have been in the same uh, class or around the same class. His name is Josh Fleischman. Uh, the name doesn't ring a bell, no. No? Okay, because I know that I went to school with him. I don't know if you might have, but uh, he has been actively every year, as far as I know, he's been he's been doing Halloween Horror Nights, and that's sort of what he's, uh, you know, that's one of his things, and um, I could definitely get in touch with him and uh, maybe get that answer for you. Yeah, because yeah, I, yeah. I think he might have done the chainsaw stuff. Yeah, because I'm, I'm just curious, because that's, that's one of the big things that you deal with, right, is uh, we, we, we call it chainsaw impotence, and uh, it's when you, you got the saw down, and you're waiting for that group to come through and they come through and you go to crank it. And all it does is just go, <laughs> you know, it, do, it doesn't fire on the first pull. You know, whereas I see these guys at horror nights, they go all night firing on the first pull every time, bram, 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 you know, kicking off and going. And it's great, but it leads me to, it leads me to be curious. You know, is it, is it gas? Is it, you know, is it gas or is it electric? Is it some kind of a hybrid? Is it something in between? I'm just, I'm, I'm generally curious. Uh, also, as far as refueling goes, because that's a, yeah, that's a big thing that we deal with when you run a saw and I, it doesn't have a huge gas tank on it, you know, so you, you deal with a lot of that. Who do you think has it harder at Halloween Horror Nights? The houses, the people in the houses or the, or the scare zones, the people run the scare zones? Oh man, the houses, definitely. Um, and, well, I want to say to have it harder. Um, so one of the one of the big things I I love Halloween Horror Nights. Okay, I go I go every time I can, anytime I get a chance. Um, but one of the big things that I hate about Horror Nights, as compared to a you know a, a professional haunted house that's you know owner operated somewhere, it is what they call the the conga line of doom where it's just that steady stream of people walking through the house. Yeah. You know, now I understand that you have to do it. I, I get that because with the, with the sheer number of people that Horror Nights uses or the, the sheer number of people that Horror Nights sees like guests on a nightly basis, I understand that you have to just keep them moving. You don't have a choice. Whereas, you know, at, at, World of Chaos, our show in, in Texas, we wouldn't do a group of over like eight people at a time. Oh, that's so cool, dude. Very intimate. I like that. And, and that's and that's the point. It also gives your, your room time to reset uh, and get set up. Now, the downside there, of course, is that you may send in a group of six and then a group of six and then a group of seven and then a group of five and a group of eight and then a group of six, you know, and they're split up throughout the house. But all it takes is for one group to get scared and either hold or start to back up, and then they're going to run into each other. Yeah, Ugh. you know, and it and it becomes it becomes difficult to reset a scare, depending on where you are. 
and that's that's one of the things that I that I don't like about horror nights is that you know I'll walk through and I'll see a scare you know eight people in front of me. Yep, yep, that's you definitely know? one of the biggest complaints about it is you can kind and of then, tell. Yeah, and then by the time I get up there, it's either one of the because here's the thing, right? The the odds of you getting a scare on me are slim in the first place. If you do, kudos to you, uh, bonus points, you got it. You know, and I'll let you know too because I ain't shy. You know, but, uh, you know, I like to see costumes, you know, I like to see costumes and makeup and set. And if you're not going to be out when I get up there, well, I'm not going to get to see you. And that kind of bums me out. (laughs) You know, um, I'll, you know what, I'll pitch another one to you though. Uh, down here near me out in, uh, Kissimmee old town. Are you familiar with the area? Old town. Yeah. That's, uh, you got the fun spot around there, right? Yeah, yeah, it's it's right there. Okay. So in in Old Town on their main street, uh they have a they have a year round haunt there called Mortem Manor. Hmm. I've never been. You you should go. You should absolutely get a chance. Once I'll tell you what, once the apocalypse is over, <laughs> you come down here, we'll we'll meet up and uh we'll go down and check that out if it's not just a charred pile of rubble. Yeah, dude. That I mean that I mean that brings up a great thing, and I wanted to know, uh, you know, how you feel about it because it's, it's what's going to happen. It, like, it, is that going to be something that's going to be able to take place? I mean, that's literally anti-social distancing. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah, brother. And that's that's the thing. You know, there's there's a lot of people we've been talking about it. I uh, I follow a couple different uh, you know haunter groups online, and uh, that's everyone's big concern this year is, you know, how do we, you know, how are we going to operate, you know, if we're going to operate, how are we going to operate and maintain the the social distancing guidelines and, you know, the the absolute best way to keep everybody safe because, you know, uh, a haunted house where everything happens six feet from me, you know, I'm uh, I'm not particularly jumpy. Yeah, I don't know. It's it's got me on edge because you know I'm a I go to Halloween Horror Nights every year, and I think I've only missed one year. Yeah, only one year, and it's I I'm just I'm freaking out, man. I'm freaking out because it's you know it's something I look forward to, and I don't know if it's going to happen. Yeah, yeah, and that's that's the thing, man. You know, and it's it's everything. Hey, but I, I try to I try to keep it in perspective. You know, if it if it doesn't happen, well, you know, it doesn't happen. I'd like to think that it's not going to happen for the greater good. You know, if that's the reality of the situation. You know, as much as I would love to go to a haunted house, I would also like to know that these people aren't putting themselves in a in a hazardous environment for for my benefit. Yeah. Yeah. Well, look, it's it's only time is going to tell. You know, that's that's literally all we can say about it. And yeah, the, that you, you're 100 percent right. Get those fingers crossed, and uh, you know, hopefully, we can return to some normalcy. But uh, yeah, dude, I don't know. It's uh, it's a crazy time, and um, I loved uh, I loved uh, just getting you on here, man, because you know, it, it, it the second you hear someone's voice, and this is what's so cool about me doing this podcast is I've been able to reconnect with a lot of people and like sincerely man hearing your voice I don't know like if anyone knows this but 
the who's on first sketch is a pretty uh is it, you know it's obviously pretty lengthy it's 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 a few minutes um and when when Mason and I initially decided to do that way back in the day for this talent show uh it was you know something that we practiced and practiced and practiced and then of course we did it and uh then I haven't seen Mason in years and then literally right before we got on on the air here, I was like, Hey dude, I want to do this with you. I want to do it again. You know, uh, bring it back because we're in this nostalgia era, you know, everything's coming back. So I want to bring back who's on first. Um, and I don't know about you, man, but you know, obviously we have the script in front of us, but I mean, it's just a natural ebb and flow that we had. Like I, I felt as we were saying those lines, I remembered doing that stuff. You know what I mean? Yeah, man. Yeah, for real. It's a, uh, it's an absolute, absolute callback. Uh, when you, you know, now I, I had every intention of at least mentioning it because I want to talk about that because that, that's really a lot of how we came together as friends. Uh, you know, I mean, we, we were in choir. Yeah, but that is what it is. That, that's a, that's a fun image for those of you listening. That's, that's something <laughs> fun to think about. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, but through the through the theater and you know, performance art, that's really how we how we came about. So the fact that you you brought that up first, you brought it up to me. Uh, I I really appreciated that. Yeah, and as soon as you mentioned, it, I dug it up and I said, absolutely, yeah, let's do this. Yeah, I don't know, just something about it, and uh, you know, there's been so many memories of of. Uh... Like you said, doing the performance, man. We did uh we did a lot of shows together. We did uh I know there's a photo, I think it was for that murder mystery show. I forget what the hell it's that called. Was, that was uh that was for um Oh, you know what? I'd I'd have known the name if you hadn't asked. Well, oh no no, hold on, hold on. Uh, rehearsal for murder? Uh, rehearsal for murder. Rehearsal for murder. There we there go. We go. <laughs> yeah, that was uh that was rehearsal for murder. And uh oh what was that? Ooh. That your freshman year, my sophomore year. Yep, and there's a picture of you for the cast photo of you choking me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that that is floating around somewhere. <laughs> uh, but yeah, man, we did we did rehearsal for murder, and uh, then we did the uh, we did who's on first uh, for the talent show, and then we did uh, oh what was it? Uh, is our comic in the house? Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, we did. We did comic in the house, um, and then oh, there was the uh, where you and <laughs> where you and Boyd hosted the talent show. Yes, and you were the uh, uh, the magical the act. year, and I did I did the the magic act throughout there, <laughs> and uh, that was that was a fun one. And then uh, and then of course I think I think Werewolf's Curse uh, realistically was. Uh, was probably what was probably our shining moment collectively yeah dude because you i mean you know i got to play this real over-the-top gene wilder-esque uh mad scientist and you got to be like five or six or seven different characters every, eddie murphy style every fucking buddy yeah <laughs> yeah so uh for yeah you uh you were dr einstein and that was a blast uh you perfectly suited for it it was uh a lot of fun watching you do that uh but yeah yeah it was uh it was doppelganger and seven seven different characters 
uh, four men and three women. Uh, <laughs> Jesus. And uh, I'll tell you, I am a, I am an ugly broad, too. I found, found that out. I will... What I'm going to do is, uh, for anyone that's listening that actually wants to see this stuff, because I know that there are clips of at least this show floating around on YouTube, I'm, what I'm going to do is I'll find them, because I think Agata uh, uploaded them, and uh, I'll uh, I'll link them down below. So if you guys want to see exactly what we're talking about, me as this British over-the-top scientist and uh, Mason as seven different characters, including a very busty woman... Uh, you can uh, yes, incredibly, <laughs> incredibly busty. Yeah, <laughs> uh, you could check that out. And uh, but, dude, I I don't know if there's actual video of our of our who's on first. I can't find it. Oh, uh, I have that, my guy. What? Oh, yeah. Man. Let me let me dig around. I will. Uh, I'll I'll shoot you a message later with some links um, because I made sure that. Uh, I may I may not have who's on first. I'll have to look. Okay. But I know for sure that I've got a couple of our clips from the magic show. Uh, a couple of the clips with you and me and you, me and Boyd. And uh, I know I've got the, the one, the one act that I ran through a couple of the acts that I ran through uh, me and Caitlin. Uh, I've got, I've got those. Uh, let me, you know, let me dig around. I'll see what I got and I'll, I'll get them to you. Awesome. Yeah, dude, that'd be uh man. I just love it, man. I, I sincerely I love nostalgia. Like seriously, like I know there's a big kind of critique about it of, you know, especially like with movies and TV shows, but this is a different kind of nostalgia, you know. It's just it, it's uh, always you know good. What? I I think nostalgia's fine if all you're going to do is think about it and talk about it. You know, we're not we're not out here trying to make sequels. <laughs> yeah, we're not uh Yeah. This uh, the opening to this episode was the closest to a sequel or a or a, or a remake that uh, is probably going to happen. Uh, you know, yeah, and and it wasn't done with shitty CGI, so I'm proud of it. <laughs> yeah, dude. Oh man, look, Mason, it, it was it was a true it was a true pleasure, dude. Just uh, getting you back on, and uh, well, not getting you back on, but getting you on, and uh, you're definitely welcome to always come back on here, dude. And and, uh, uh, absolutely, bro. I've I've had a blast. This has been great, and uh, yeah, I would I would love to come back. So whenever you're ready, give me a holler. Yeah, man, and uh, stay safe. And um, tell uh, uh, I hope uh, you know because you said Hillary is doing pretty good. So um, I hope that uh, that everything's going good with her and uh, it's a speedy recovery. Oh yeah, absolutely, bro. She's uh, she's doing a lot better than she was. So it's much appreciated. Awesome, dude. And uh, I'll let you know when this is live so you can uh, you can uh, take a listen for yourself because it's always fun to hear yourself and kind of cringe. I know I do it. Uh, yeah, Jesus. I don't know if I'm looking forward to that, but <laughs> I'm, I'm still going to do it even though I don't want to. Yeah, it's it, it's one of those things. It's a, it, it's a car accident. You don't want to look, but you look. Yeah, Jesus. All right, man. All right, brother. Well, it, it's been good, man. Be yep. good. Take care of yourself. All right, you too. Bye. Bye.